You are listening to For His Glory, a sermon series exploring God's grace in the book of Romans, preached by Dr. Trent Stewart. More information about Foothills Church is available at foothillschurch.com. Our scripture today is, man, it's really in our face. Um, we talked last week about how we've got to outdo one another in honor, how to have genuine love for our brother and for our sister in the church. And so um, no matter where you're at on that, on some level, it, it really kind of hits us square between the eyes. And so we want to focus on that and realize that, that we're called to outdo one another in honor, not because that person deserves it, but because God deserves it. And as I give honor to someone else, what I'm actually doing is I'm honoring Jesus and he is alone worthy. And so we talked about that. If you missed that, I encourage you to go online and and catch up and follow that. But today we talk uh, even more about some practical, practical issues. Now, Working through the entire book of Romans in the very beginning is very heavy theology. Uh, it's, 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 it's deep. It's, it's sin. It's, um, you know, God's uh, grace in the atonement, election, all these, these foundational, important theological truths. And, and the half of the book that we're in now is really all practical. Uh, in other words, when you have sound theology, you'll have sound living. And so we, we find ourselves in some very practical things that we need to get a hold of. And, and before we go there, Oh, the, the title of the sermon is The Right Kind of Church. And so we all have that question in America, like when we're looking for a church and trying to find a church, we've asked ourselves the question of what's, what's the right church for us or the right kind of church. And so um, I did a little research and there was a survey done on uh, 49, 48, 49 different denominations. And they, uh, they were trying to discover what are the similarities and keys between the churches that grow and some churches that aren't growing. And so they found that, you know, doctrine is important, location, the culture of the church, a lot of different things were important. But the number one thing that they found in the churches that are growing is an affection and a a love that the people display towards one another in the church. And so that was the most common factor that it was a church that they actually genuinely loved each other and cared for each other. And that relational component was evident to, to new people as they came into the room. And I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? Because the world is looking for uh, love. They're looking for acceptance. And so when they see a group of people that have figured out how to do that, it's very attractive. And so uh, that's, that's part of where we want to start, that we want to be that, that kind of church and, and really demonstrate that. And, and before I, I really dive into the scripture today, I want to share some things that I usually share in base camp for some of you, because uh, a lot of times when we talk about the right kind of church, we all have a different understanding of what the church is. And so when we look at the New Testament, we see the word church several times, and it's actually the Greek word ecclesia. And so when we, when we understand what the actual Greek word means, we see that it means uh, the called out people or the congregation. And so, so this idea of the ecclesia or the church, uh, it's not about a building. It's not about walls and, 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 and lights and, and, and electricity. But the church, when, when we read the New Testament, he's talking about a congregation, a group of people in relationship. So that's big because in our culture, uh, the, the word church has been hijacked, hasn't it? Because there's a, you know, there's, there's Muslim churches, there's, you know, uh, there's, there's Jehovah's Witness churches, there's, you know, there's Hindu churches, and it's like, no, 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 we're, we're, we're missing the point. We were trying to find directions to a soccer game a couple weeks ago, and one of the people on the team were like, it's right past the Hindu church. I'm like, no, it's not a church. A church is a group of people founded 
on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he means when he says the church, it is people. So for us, we say, you know, we're going to church or I go to this church and we're talking about usually a physical address. And so we've got to shake that mentality that, that you can't say that you're a part of Foothills Church just because you show up on Sunday. There's something deeper. It's a relationship. It's a, it's a group of people. And so this really started all the way back uh, early, early on in the life of the church when Emperor Constantine said that uh, the, the state religion is going to be Christianity in Rome. And so that kind of kicked it off and started it. And the Roman Catholic Church began to grow. And as it began to grow, so did its power. And so that the power in this church was really through the priests and they could really kind of do what they wanted to do. And they were kind of leading and controlling. And, and so they were in charge. And so at that time, there was no Bible that, that common people could read. Like there was no English Bible at that time. They had uh, the Latin Vulgate, which was a translation in Latin and, and the common man, woman couldn't read Latin. So, so they had to basically trust the priests and the, and the church on, on what the Bible said. And so they had to, you know, there, that's why there was so much, uh, uh, you know, just um, false doctrine and false teaching through that time. And the whole Reformation, you know, began because of that. But, but I say all that because there was a man in the 16th century by the name of William Tyndall. Now, maybe you've never heard of him, but he's one of the most important men in the life of the church because what he did was he took the original languages of Greek and Hebrew and he translated it into the first English Bible. And so from William Tyndall, we have this amazing opportunity to now where now the common man can actually pick up the Bible and read it. But as you can imagine, the Roman Catholic Church didn't appreciate it because what William Tyndall did when he came to the word Ecclesia, he didn't translate it as church. He took it for what it really meant in the Greek, and he actually would, would, would translate it as congregation. So every time in his translation you come to the word church, he translates it, translates it as congregation. And, and here's the thing, I think he got it right. And the reason is because, especially in our culture today, we think of church as an organization, as a building, as, as a religion. And Jesus never meant for it to be that. In fact, Jesus says this in Matthew 16. He's talking to Peter and he says, And, you, and, and, and I tell you, Peter, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Jesus made this prediction and he said, Peter, we're going to build the church. I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell are not going to stand against it. Nothing is going to defeat my church. And what Jesus meant is not that I'm going to you know, build a bunch of buildings in the world. What he meant was I'm going to build a group of people in relationship for the mission of God. Now that's huge. That's huge. So when we talk about the right kind of church, we've got to strip ourselves from a consumer-based mentality. And that's hard to do in our, in our world. In, in the Western United States here, we're, we're, we're in the Western culture in the U.S., we, we're consumers. From the time that we grew up watching cartoons on Saturday morning, we became consumers through, through commercials and through advertisement. We, we, I want that. I need that. There's a billion-dollar industry that's trying to convince us that we need something, isn't it? So every time we turn on the TV or on the radio or billboards or whatever, computers, we need something to make our life better. And so we're consumers. And so we start, you know, we, we start, well, should I buy this car or that car? Should I go with that product or this product? Well, this one does this and that one does that. And I don't know about you, but 
I'm kind of in the, in the TV kind of cable. I'm, something's going to change in my life. Like I've got, you know, cable, but I'm thinking about changing because of all the different stuff. I don't know anybody tracking with me here, but, you know, cable's got one thing. Satellite's got one thing. UVerse has this thing. And so as a consumer, I'm just going to, you know, well, they give me this kind of channel and there's high def and it costs this much and there's this and there's that. And then, well, what's satellite do? And well, if it rains hard, then you're messed up on that one. So, I mean, you're just kind of thinking and you're kind of, you know, comparing, then you're going to this one. And, and so that's kind of what we do, isn't it? And we're like, okay, well, I'm going to go with this one. I'm on a budget. So this is what we can afford. And this is what we want to do. And we make a decision. And so the, so the challenging thing for us, and listen, listen, if you're a new Christian or just coming back to church, I understand what you're saying, but we come to the church and what, what we say is, is like, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm church shopping. I'm church shopping. So I'm, I'm, I'm attending and we're, we're kind of jumping around to kind of see which one fits our needs and which one. And, and so I get and I understand where you're at, but here's what I want to challenge you with. You're taking a consumer mentality of should I go with cable or should I go with satellite into the church of Jesus Christ. And so we're stepping into the building and we're saying, now, does this church have a program that's going to meet my needs? Well, this church has this, this, and this, and this church has this, this, and this. And so now we're basing a spiritual decision on what somebody or some organization or some program can do for me. And that's wrong. Because when we step into the church, and listen, not building, not walls, when we step in to a relationship, people who are committed to be in relationship with one another, the church, our attitude and our questions should be, Jesus, where do you want me to serve? So rewind four years ago when we planted the church. Nobody at that point was coming to our church because we had a great whatever ministry. <laughs> we didn't have any ministries that were great. Honestly, People began to come, first because they were accepting Christ, and secondly, because uh, there were Christians that, that said, you know what, God is calling me to be here to serve. I think of people like Jama Sipperly and the, and the Boyets and the Hedricks who said, and they showed up, who had been Christians for a long time, said, you know what, we believe God wants us here to serve. And so they, they, they get plugged in, they begin to serve, and now we have awesome stuff, and now our children have been awesome, and now we've got all these great things. But in the beginning, if you showed up, you weren't coming because we offered you something and so we've got to shake that. We look for the right kind of church. It's not how can they serve me or who can they and what can they do for me. It's Jesus, where do you want us to serve? And so here's the main point. Put it, put it on the screen because this is it, man. If, if you'll have the church you want when you start being the church, just get that. You'll have the kind of church that you've wanted your entire life when you start being the church. And so it's an individual thing here. And as we talk about this stuff, we're going to cover a lot, a lot of material. And we want to take it to heart. We want to take it seriously. Because here's the deal. When we read the New Testament and see what the church is supposed to do, we don't have a ton of information. They met together for teaching. And so we just assume that when we meet together, there should be preaching and teaching. And, and they got together and they sang some songs. And so we get together and, and we sing some songs. And, and so they don't, it doesn't say who gets to pick the song or how loud the song is or what kind of instruments. We just kind of make that decision. The New Testament says that we're supposed to remember the Lord's Supper and, and, to, and to do that. But it never says how often we're supposed to do that. We just assume that, that we need to do that. And so, so when we, we get past all the stuff of what are we supposed to do at church, what we see in the New Testament is, is 90% we're supposed to be in relationships with one another. 
And if, and if we're missing the relational component of our spiritual life, then we're not really experiencing the church. Let me say it like this. If all you experience is in church is in rows, you're not experiencing the fullness of church because it's about relationships. We're called to love one another, serve one another, honor one another, outdo one another in honor, to submit to one another, to love one another. All these things, all these one another's that we see in Scripture, that doesn't happen unless we are in relationships. So we're still chipping away at that, chipping away. Let's read and see what he says. This is, this is how Christians are supposed to treat each other. This is the right kind of church right here. Let's just start in verse 9. He says, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, and outdo one another in showing honor. That's what we covered last week. Look online, catch up with us. Verse 11. Here we go. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Now keep your Bibles open because we're going we're gonna to continue and kind of meet back with that several times this morning. But I want to give you five or six keys to what it means to, to really be in relationship as far as what the Bible says with his church. So, so if we're going to be the church that, that God is calling us to be, then we're going to be in relationships that look like this. And the first one, if you want to take notes, number one, is that we will passionately serve Jesus. Look again at verse 11. Don't be slothful but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Now, listen, this is not just a good idea. This is what we're commanded to do as a believer, that we are commanded to not think of church as whatever when we have time. But he says, I want you not to be slothful, but, but have zeal. Zeal just means passion. So we want to be a church that is passionate about worshiping together, that is passionate about ministering together, that is passionate about sharing the gospel in our city, passionate about going overseas to share the gospel, to plant churches, to build leaders, to not make this a, an add-on to my life, but to make this part of who I am, that I am passionate about Jesus. I have energy for this. You see, we have a bad habit of when the bills are paid and our bellies are full to make Jesus a second thought. Jesus is just whenever we have time for. And so when he calls us to not be slothful, be passionate, be fervent in spirit, and to serve the Lord. Where, where are you serving? What are you passionate about? And if it's not the gospel, if that's not in that conversation, if you're not serving then, then the challenge is for you to step into that. So number one, passionately serve Jesus. That's what it looks like to be in the right kind of church. Secondly, when he, he goes through this progression of hope, endurance, and prayer, and all that takes place in tribulation. Look at verse 12. He says, "The rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. So earlier in Romans 8, same progression. There's this idea that we rejoice in our hope. And so the hope is in Jesus. Our salvation is in Jesus. Uh, there's more to life in Jesus. We know that after this life, there's Jesus and eternal life. So he says, that's our hope. Rejoice in that. And then he says, be patient in tribulation. So there's, this is life, all right? And there's sin and bad things happen and it's difficult and there's suffering. We, we learned this earlier in Romans 5. We, we learned this in James chapter 1 where he says, consider it pure joy, 
my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance or produces steadfastness. Remember several weeks ago, we talked about that word steadfastness. It's the same idea here when he says, be patient in tribulation. That word steadfastness is huponame. And so we learned that that word literally means to be able to remain up under. Hupo, the first part of the word, means under. And so, and the the next word means to remain. So the idea for us when we go through a difficult and challenging time is that the grace of God gives us the power to remain up under the stress and pressure and tribulations that this world throws at us. Now, that's exactly the opposite of what we want to learn, isn't it? We go through a tough time. We go through a challenge. I want out. Marriage is tough. Maybe it's not working. I'm out. Relationships at work. I don't like it. I'm out. You know, something happens. We don't like it. We don't want pressure. We're sick. Heal me. My leg is hurting. Heal me. Whatever it is, as soon as we begin to suffer, we went out. That's human nature. But the gospel of Jesus Christ says, I want you to know that when you are going through a trial in a difficult time, I want you to be patient, steadfast, to have the power to remain up under it. Because this is what we know. Anytime we go through those difficulties in life, man, that is the the interstate highway of how Jesus just infuses our life with Christian virtues. It's in that trial. It's in those that, that, that stress when we remain up under it and faithful with him that he changes our hearts and our lives. And he says through this that I want you to be constant in prayer. Not, a, not an add-on right before you go to bed, but, but something that you're constantly in prayer and communication with God and, and talking with him about uh, what, what's happening in life and happening in your heart. And so we're, we're speaking to him constantly, he says. That's the right kind of church when, when you start acting like the right kind of church. Number three, he says to contribute to the needs of the saints. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. What are you contributing to in life? Let's back up. Other than yourself, what do you contribute to? I mean, for many Americans, th- there's nothing after that. I contribute to myself and, and I guess my family, but really I'm contributing to them because I want to contribute to me. And so the, the buck kind of stops there. As a Christ follower, we're called to contribute to the needs of the saints. What do you give your money towards? What do you give your resources towards? He's very clear. He calls us to contribute to the needs of the saints. Are you contributing your time, talent, your energy to the needs of the saints or just to you? It's very simple. It's not tricking us, not, not, not condemning us anything. He's just saying, listen, if you follow Jesus, contribute to the needs of the saints. And he connects that to showing hospitality because, because that's a huge part of what it means to be a Christian. Hospitality is not just a Southern virtue, right? We like sweet tea and we're nice. That's, that is not like, like a, a Southern virtue. That is a biblical gospel, Jesus-centered virtue to, to, to be hospitable. And that's something that we're called to be. Every Sunday is, is somebody's first Sunday to Foothills Church. Do you realize that? Every single Sunday we have between 20 and 30 first-time guests. If nobody shook your hand or looked at you nice that's sitting next to you, they might be a first-time guest. So, I mean, don't, don't, don't knock on them because this happens all the time. There are so many brand-new people in our church, which is a great thing, and I'm glad that you're here. But it's also why those who are partners with us take this very seriously, that we are 
hospitable. We're friendly. Like the hospitality team ought to be, like everybody ought to be on the hospitality team. I mean, serve once a month, shake somebody's hand at the door. I mean, come on. Everybody should be able to do that. Everybody should be flooded into that mission. We should have to fight people and, and, you know, who are fighting for spots on the hospitality team because this is like Christianity 101. Be hospitable and friendly to people. If you come here mad, upset, don't talk to anybody, dude, something's up inside your heart. I mean, because he lives, right? I don't, doesn't matter what you face. Because he lives, I, I can face tomorrow and I, I can be hospitable and friendly. He calls us to contribute to the needs of the saints. He calls us to be hospitable and friendly and welcoming to others. Number four here, he says, bless those that offend you. Verse 14, let's, I haven't read that yet. Let's read the next few verses. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So far as it depends on you, underline that, circle that phrase. We're going to come back to that. Let's go back to verse 14. He says, bless those who persecute you. So if you're taking notes, number four is is bless those that offend you. Man, this is the exact opposite of what we want to do when somebody offends us. When somebody offends us, we want to be quick-witted and offend them right back. If somebody talks negatively about us, our first instinct is to zing one at them and to get them right back. I mean, isn't that our nature? That's because of our sin nature within us. The gospel of Jesus says, don't, don't, don't do that. He says, bless those that curse you. So the word bless there literally means to talk well about them. So this is, this gets, hey, just hold on. It gets even tougher here. So it's like I read these things and I'm like, do I have to teach that one this week? That's the one I wish wasn't in there. You know, here it is. When somebody offends you, talks negatively about you, what he calls us to do is to talk well about them. That's pretty powerful. Someone offends you, makes fun of you, says something negative about you, criticizes you. Jesus says, the Bible says, bless them by talking well about them. Now that's tough to do. That's the life. And, and there's, there's purpose behind that because I can't control what people say about me. But I can control what I say about others. And you see, that's what I'll be held accountable for. That's what you'll be held accountable for. So, bless those that offend you. Number five, let's keep going. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So the point here is is to be sympathetic to each other's feelings. So when somebody is rejoicing and excited because they had a baby, they got married, they got a promotion, they got a raise, they they achieved something, their son or daughter achieved something, he wants us to rejoice with them, not be envious and jealous of them. You see, the church acts differently than the world. We're to rejoice with each other when we rejoice. And then he says, weep with those who are weeping. So Jesus went to the wedding and, 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 and celebrated, and he went to the funeral, didn't he? And he mourned. 
And so that's what he calls us to do. When somebody is, is weeping, somebody is going through a difficult time, he calls us to come alongside of them and weep along with them. And, and man, when we go through those issues in life, don't we want somebody to come alongside of us that, that kind of sympathizes with us and can cry with us and can celebrate with us? I mean, that's what it means to be in relationship with the church. Finally, number six, he says, don't be too good to be with others. Don't be too good to relate to other people. Let's keep reading. Let's look at it again. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. You see, this is the this is anti-church. This is anti-Jesus. If you think that you are the elite, if you think you're the elite, we're better than that race. We're better than that, you know, city. Our area is, is, is better and we're more influential than them because we're good and they're not as good and we make more money than, and then they're not as good. Listen, our country even is here in those countries. You know, He says, do not be haughty. Don't be arrogant. Don't be prideful. But he says, be able to associate with everybody. We ought to be able, able to associate and be in relationship. That's what that means, to be in relationship with those who make a lot of money and those who don't make a lot of money, who, who are you know, the same race as us or a different race. He says, don't draw lines. Do not come to that place. Man, that is anti, that's anti-God to say, you know what? We're better than everybody else. He says, don't be like that. And now it really gets tough. It really gets tough. He's, he, he now kind of shifts gears. All these verses are talking about how we relate to each other in the church, uh, how, we, how we treat one another. Now he's beginning to shift gears and he's going to say, here's how we relate to people even outside the church, people who are in the world. Let's keep going. He says this, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. There's that word honor again. What's honorable in the sight of all, if possible, so far as it depends on you. In other words, you do your part. You can't control what they say. You can't control what they do. You do your part. You bless, don't curse. Don't repay evil for evil. You be nice. You allow the gospel of Jesus to kind of pour through. You do everything that you need to do. And after that, you let it go. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, here we go. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord, to the, to the contrary. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. All right, so, so never avenge yourself. Man, that's exactly what we want to do, isn't it? I don't know about you, but some of my favorite movies are like the revenge type movies. Like the bad guy does something evil and then the rest of the show is like him getting it. You know, I love that. He got it. Yes. You know, and if, and if the bad guy got away and won, then, then I'd be like, no, I would not feel like fulfilled on that. I want the bad guy to get it. And, and, and it's because I, I believe that, that that's just kind of one of those buttons inside of who we are as people. Like somebody does wrong, Vengeance, <laughs> revenge, get them back. They need to get got back, you know? And so, so we like movies like that. We like books like that. We like stories like that. I mean, the, some of the most popular TV shows are about justice because we, we are a people that likes to see justice served, not on ourselves, but we like to see it served on the other 
people, you know? It's like, they do bad, let's get them, man, let's get them back. And so that's kind of a button inside of us. And he says, don't avenge yourselves. Now, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we're not supposed to defend ourselves. It doesn't mean that we don't have a right to uh, pursue freedom for other people. It doesn't, doesn't mean that we can't stick up for somebody else and fight for somebody else. That's not at all. We're going to kind of get into that uh, next week when we talk about God and country and patriotism and how that all flows through the gospel. That's next week. But, but here what he's saying is on a personal level, when somebody offends you, he says, do not take revenge. So how do you respond when you're wrong, what's a Christian supposed to do? Number one, if you're taking notes, don't get even. That's what he's saying here. Don't be a get backer. Don't get even. Don't try to avenge yourself. Here's a, a statement that you probably have heard before. And sometimes it helps us have a little bit more sympathy for those mean people in our life. But here's the truth. Hurt people, what? Hurt people, yeah. So the people that are hurting you in your life are hurting themselves on some level. So if we can remember that statement when others are offending us, when others are are doing things to criticize, and we can remember that statement, it helps us to deal with them a little bit better, better, maybe, maybe soothe that revenge chord in our heart that we so want to play. So far as it depends on you, he says, live peaceably. Secondly, what are we to do? Leave the revenge for God. Because he says it pretty clearly right here. It says that it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So here's the reality. As a believer, you've got somebody who is going to serve justice for you. So he says, don't, don't spend your time and your energy trying to get somebody back for what they did. Because God is God and he is going to Allow his wrath to fall on those who are the offending party. Now that's hard for us because we kind of want to, you know, take control and kind of do things our way. We want to get revenge, don't we? I mean, uh, that, that's just kind of kind of in us. And so, you know, even there are, if you look up revenge songs, you know, there are songs across, you know, every generation that talk about Revenge. There's one funny one, kind of funny. Uh, Carrie Underwood is that her name? So I'm not a huge like country fan, but she sings this song like "Think Before He Cheats Next Time" or something like that. So so it's funny. So obviously somebody cheated on her, and so the song is like she's going to take a Louisville Slugger to both headlights. Right? A Louisville Slugger is a baseball bat for those of you non-baseball fans, uh, slash a hole in all four tires. You know, so the whole song is getting this dude back. And so if anybody's ever cheated on you, you know, you know, you're, you're a girl and they do cheat on you. This song has been blaring, you know, you've been driving, you've been crying, oh, I'm going to key his car, man. And you know, you're, you're crying, it's not coming down. You're like, I'm going to get him back. I'm going to thank my little slugger, you know. So it's just kind of in us and we want to get back. We want to avenge. And, and, and the gospel says, look, you don't have to do that. God's got your back. So when you, when you compare it, through your resources and your creativity, you, you can decide what needs to happen to this person or you can let the creator of the universe take care of what he does and that is to take care of you and those that offend you and those that hurt you. That's the principle and that's the truth. And, and, and when you keep reading, this is the part of, of today's message that you can kind of get excited about because here's what we like, you know. We like this, this, this section here in verse, at the end of verse 20 where he says, for by doing so, you'll, reap, uh, you'll heap burning coals 
on his head. I like that part. You know, the whole head burning coal, somebody's head is going to catch on fire, right, God? No, here's how it gets to that point. Instead of getting vengeance, he says, when your enemy's hungry, feed him. When your enemy's thirsty, give him something to drink. See, here's what we're called to do. Instead of revenge, we seek to bless, we seek to encourage, we seek to honor. And so the whole heaping hot coals on the head happens when you are honoring and blessing and serving the person that is offending you. Because there's this concept that as, as I am blessing that person, as I'm encouraging and honoring that, that person, uh, we, don't, we don't see this visibly all the time, but what the Spirit of God does in that person's life is, is because of the blessing you're giving, the, the heat, the burning coal, the heat of shame and guilt fall upon that person. As this, as, you know, the, the, it's, it's really hard to hate somebody that's just really nice to you, isn't it? And I wish I could just hate that guy more, but he's so stinking nice, you know? It's kind of that deal. And you don't walk around with the shirt that says, heaping coals are on my head. Because that doesn't happen, but we trust the, the scriptures where we say, I'm going to bless, I'm going to encourage. And so by doing that, the heat of shame and guilt comes upon that time. Hopefully that leads them to repentance. Finally here, he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with Good. So leave revenge to God and overcome evil with good, not by getting evil and getting them back. Here's a few, here's a few things real quickly to, to kind of close this up. Here's, here's some other reasons why revenge is, is worthless. First of all, it's an emotion that saps your energy. If you're worried about what somebody did to you, maybe an ex or, a, you know, in a relationship, a, a spouse or somebody, somebody did something to you and, and you're worried about getting them back. The only person that you're hurting and the only person that loses energy and sleep is you. And as, far, as long as you are focusing on the past and the hurt of the pain, you can't do what God's calling you to do today and definitely what he wants you to do in the future. So it's a worthless emotion. It's, it zaps your energy. Uh, Next is, like he says, leave room for God's wrath. We leave room for God to be God. We leave room for God to, uh, to do what, what he knows needs to happen. And I don't take the wheel. That's another Carrie Underwood reference today. That's two. It's free. You know, we don't, we don't take control there. We let God do his thing. And finally here, he says, overcome evil with good. So, so here's where we land. Who, who do you want to get back? Who wronged you? You're angry today. You have an angry heart because of it. Your spouse sees the anger. Sometimes you take it out on your spouse. You take it out on your kids because somebody else hurt you and you can't take it out on them. So you take it out on people that love you. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to bless by saying, you know what? Instead of that guy's a that guy, and I'm going to say something nice about who he is and what he's doing. And, and, and I'm going to allow God to do that in my heart. So for some of you, the revenge and the whole get back thing is to your own spouse. I mean, would you think about that? 
You're withholding things from your husband because of how he hurt you. You're withholding things from your, your wife because she won't do X, Y, and Z for you. And so you're getting them back and your, your backs are kind of against each other and you're fussing and you're fighting at each other and the devil is happy and, and doing backflips. Meanwhile, the gospel in your heart is breaking down because you're missing the whole point. You see, when we talk about relationships in the church, I mean, my goodness, it starts with our wives. It starts with our husbands, right? It starts with your own kids. So in that relationship, who do you need to forgive? What do you need to let go of? Take that vengeance out of your heart and allow that wrath and that anger just to kind of melt away and allow God to be God and you be faithful to him. I mean, this is good stuff. I don't, I don't, I don't know about you. I read this and it's like, man, some of this stuff, if it were me, I wish wasn't in here because, you know, I would like to not have to be able to be accountable to this. But everywhere we see this, we see the benefits when we actually do it. You know, if you're looking for the right kind of church, start being the right kind of church because the church is not a building. It's a group of people in relationship that love one another with brotherly affection, that outdo one another and honor, that's passionate about serving Jesus, that rejoices in hope, it's patient in tribulation. They contribute to the needs of the saints, each other. They contribute to the needs of others. We don't persecute, we bless. We don't think we're better than anybody else. We accept everyone and love everyone. We don't get even, we let God take care of that. And that's who we're called to be. I don't know about you, But there are a lot of things that need to change in my life. And I hope that you'll leave today with an encouragement and a little bit of inspiration from the Spirit of God to know that when you begin to apply these things to your life, then you begin to express yourself and, and, and experience the hope and joy of Christ that you've always been looking for. Thanks for listening. More information about Foothills Church is available at foothillschurch.com.